is with great excitement that I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 1 John in the New Testament. Now, you're going to find that near the back of your New Testament. There's three of them, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and we're going to focus in on the first letter of 1 John over the next few weeks together. And really excited, I don't know what uh, lights your fire or gets you excited, but the idea of walking through a new book of the Bible together as a church family over the next three months has been something I've been looking forward to and your teaching team's looking forward to. They're really excited to walk through this book together. And you say, what is that going to look like? How do we walk through a book together? What does that mean? Well, the next three months or so, we're going to teach verse by verse through 1 John. Uh, you also have a reading plan that you can follow. It's in print like this. Uh, you can get a digital version on our app, and I encourage you to check that out. So you can be reading through 1 John. It weaves in the Gospel of John as well and all three of the letters that were written, so you kind of get a broader picture. Uh, it's really neat. So whatever you read on Saturday from this reading plan is what we will be teaching on on the following day. On Sunday, we set it up that way so you can kind of have an idea coming in. Having thought through that scripture and prayed through that a little bit, I think it'll be much better for you. So there's that tool. Uh, in our life groups, we're going to be discussing some of these lively topics. They're going to come up in 1 John over the next few weeks together. So that's going to be really good. And then just another opportunity for you. This Wednesday night is part of our Behind the Message group at 6.30 Wednesday night. Uh, we always take some different things from the messages and we'll be doing that for the next several months. This week, we're going to talk specifically of what does it mean to, how do I study a book of the Bible, and what are the tools and the resources that can help me really dive down into a book of the Bible. That'll be this Wednesday night. I uh, encourage you to be a part of that. So a lot, of, a lot of good opportunities for you and us to walk through this book together. Now, maybe a better question is not only how are we going to do this, why are we going to do this? Well, if you're new to Tri-Cities or you're, you've been here for a while, the truth is the same. We believe that this is from the very mouth of God. And we believe we will be different people. We believe we'll be different people, our, our souls, our hearts, our lives, in three months from now because we focused on the living Word of God in community with one another. And the Spirit of God uses His Word. He says it will never return void means that the investment that we'll make into his word will never come back empty as a church and in your individual lives. So I invite you to be a part of this journey together over the next few weeks in 1 John, okay? So just going to go ahead and own it. I'm going to geek out a little bit this morning. And what I mean by that is I'm kind of a student. I, I like to do a lot of background work. So I'm going to share some of the background work and try to set up the context of 1 John so as you read through it and we teach through it, you have some idea what you're reading. Uh, you can follow along in the app. So anytime you're studying through a book of the Bible, here's a question. Uh, why was this letter or this book written? So we want to ask that question this morning. All right, the Apostle John sits down, he writes this letter, and that's what it was, to a group of believers uh, in the continent of Asia about 2,000 years ago. Why, why are you writing this letter, John? And I want to try to answer that this way a little bit. I'm going to answer it with this illustration. So uh, several weeks ago, uh, this, 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 uh, this story kind of went viral on the internet. And I kind of got a hold of it. And I thought, man, that would be a good illustration. But it, it was the story of the zoo in Cairo, Egypt. So the zoo in Cairo, Egypt was very excited to begin to promote and they advertised their two newest animals to their zoo lineup. 
and it was two brand new zebras that were a part of their zoo. So people came and they were excited about seeing the zebras and they brought their kids and oh, you know, look at those two new zebras and all that. And that went by for a couple days and nobody seemed to have a problem. Well, about day three in the Cairo heat, there were some people who began to notice some issues with the said zebras. One individual, in fact, was so concerned with what he saw, he took a picture and he put it out on Facebook. And we have that picture here, so go ahead and put that. I, we don't know this dude, he's just a stranger, but he shows this zebra. Now, if you look real close, this zebra's got problems. The first problem is the black stripes on the zebra seem to begin to be smearing and wearing off. That's a problem. The second problem is, and I'm not a zoologist, but zebras have tiny little ears. They don't have really large ears. The ears on this look a whole lot more like a donkey than they do a zebra. Zebras have black noses. This animal has a brown nose, just like a, you guessed it, donkey. So here's what happened. The director of the zoo decided he really wanted to have some zebras. He would paint them up on the outside to look like zebras. He would tell everybody they were zebras. But you know what you have here? You have nothing else than a poorly painted donkey. That's it. Now a lot of people walk through and they didn't, dis they didn't discern any difference. They just kind of walk through the casual eye. and the, the sign said zebras. It must be a zebra. But there were some with a discerning eye who looked past what was said to the characteristics of the animal and realized we have a fowl, this thing, what's this? These animals are not what they claim to be. They're imposters. Imposter donkeys. That's what you have here. Fakes. And what in the world does that have to do with 1 John? Well, there were some people in the churches that John is writing to that very cleverly were portraying themselves to be something they were not. And for the most part, most of the people just walked right by and they were actually even in, in church, if you will, and they, they knew these people and they, they didn't discern any kind of problem because they didn't have quite the discerning eye of the Apostle John. So John gets wind of this and he hears there are some deceivers among the believers who are leading them astray. And they're, not only are they pretending to be something they're not, they're beginning to teach false things. And they're beginning to take the gospel and beginning to twist it ever so subtly about who Jesus was and why Jesus came and the incarnation. And John catches wind of this and at the heart of a shepherd, he says, I love those people and they're believing lies. i got to do something. So he sits down and he writes, and here's one of the verses, and we're, we're going to get to verse 1 in the chapter in just a minute, but you don't have to turn there. But 1 John 2.26, John tells us why he writes this letter. One of the reasons he writes this letter, but 1 John 2.26 says, These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. So... John writes this letter, and one of the reasons he's writing it is he knows there are people who are pretending to be something they're not, and they are beginning to tell lies to the other believers. And they begin to unsettle their faith, and they lose their joy, 
And it begins to hinder their fellowship, and they lose their assurance. And all these trickle-down effects of these imposters who were there in these churches. So the Apostle John writes, as a good, loving shepherd, to expose the fake donkeys, if you will, that were in their midst. Because he has a discerning, truthful eye. Now, who wrote this letter? It's always important to know why a letter was written, so you kind of get a framework, but who wrote it? Well, it's pretty simple, and we're not going to go into a lot of details, but this was written by the Apostle John. Uh, the Apostle John was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. You can read about that throughout the Gospels. Matthew chapter 4, for example, says, Jesus was going on from there. He saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. That's this John. John was the beloved apostle. He was known as the apostle of light, the apostle of love. He was a fiery kind of apostle. And one of the occasions, Jesus gives him the name uh, Son of Thunder. He called his brother Sons of Thunder. There was an occasion where they were walking through these villages and by these villages, and they didn't really receive Jesus really well. And John comes up and says, hey, Jesus, why don't we call down fire from heaven and just destroy the village? And Jesus says, I don't think that's the best idea, John. Calm down. And he gave him this name, Son of Thunder. This is the same John. John was one of the inner three. You know, Jesus had his 12, but then he had his three that he invested even more time in. Peter, James, and John. This is that same John. It was John who was with the three in the Garden of Gethsemane that heard Jesus praying and saw Jesus sweating drops of blood. It was John that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus peeled back his humanity, so to speak, and revealed his glory. John was there. By the way, there was one disciple at the foot of the cross when Jesus was being crucified. It was John. So that's this John that's writing. And he writes with the authority, if you will, of an apostle. Meaning he was an apostle of Jesus. Called by Jesus. Set apart by Jesus. Walked with Jesus. Saw the miracles of Jesus. And now he writes with that same authority in 1 John. He wrote the Gospel of John, bearing his name. He wrote the three letters that we're talking about here. And then somewhere around 95 A.D., about 65 years after Jesus lived, John, in the midst of great Roman persecution because of his faith, the Emperor Domitian exiles John to a little rock, a little island out in the middle of the Mediterranean called Patmos. And from that island of Patmos, this same John writes the book of Revelation. I'll just read you one verse from Revelation just to give you an idea of John. He says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom. Uh, the tribulation is, a, is an intense time of persecution. Remember, early days, and these days are coming even more now for us in America. You know, it costs something to be a believer. John knew all about that. John says, I, bro I, your brother, your fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. Why, John? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John had been exiled. Now, that's the last book he wrote was Revelation. A couple years prior to that, he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Right, it's these letters to these churches, these believers that he'd invested in. He knew many of them by name. 
And he hears that they are troubled and distressed because of these false teachers. So as any good parent, any good shepherd does, he says, I'm going to write to you to set some of these things correct. I said it earlier, just for context, John writes as an eyewitness. He has the authority of one who didn't just hear about Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He writes with that authority. and You'll see that in 1 John. John also writes as a prophet. Now, at Revelation, he writes prophetically and apocalyptically and predicts the future as God revealed it to him. But in 1 John, he writes as a prophet in the sense that he's not very politically correct. Let's put it that way. If you read through the book of 1 John, John is not really worried about who he offends. He's only worried about the truth from a place of love because he knows at whatever point you're believing a lie, you're in trouble. And he writes out of great love as a shepherd and he's very direct. And you're going to read some things in 1 John and you're going to go, wow, that was kind of rude. It's not rude, it's just clear. I mean, we kind of live in a theological sea of Dirty water, so to speak. John writes with great clarity. For example, we'll get to this next week. He writes in 1 John 1, 6. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him. Translation, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Christ. It's easy to say. Watch. I'm a zebra. <laughs> get it? It's back to the illustration at the beginning. Don't worry about it. Okay. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, meaning our lives bear no resemblance of who we say we claim to be, John says, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. In other words, John is crystal clear in this book. It's going to be challenging to us. And here's what's going to happen as you read this book and as you talk through this book and you get in some settings in your life group where you're talking about some of these realities, you're going to be confronted with, wait a minute, I know what John says here, but here's what I've always heard. Here's the way I was taught. And your only response is, listen, do we believe what God says with the authority of Scripture? And if so, my only response when I believe something different is to repent because I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And at whatever point we're believing a lie in our lives, we're in trouble. And we're not experiencing the joy we can experience, the assurance we can experience, the meaningful, eternal life that God has given us now. And that's why John writes, they're believing lies. And he cares. He writes as a disciple who is still in awe of Jesus. You're just going to hear this overflowing. He writes as one who, who walked with Jesus. And he writes with one who's still walking with Jesus by the Spirit of God. Beautiful picture. And then he writes as a pastor. One of the letters he refers to himself as the elder. He, he writes as a pastor, and he writes as a pastor who cares about those under his charge or under his authority. He wants them to know the truth. First John 2 1, he says, My little children, just sweet terms of endearment. First John 2 7, he says, Beloved, I'm not writing to you a new commandment. He calls them the beloved, his beloved ones. He says in another place, he says, little children. He calls them little children. And then 3 John 1, 4, one of my favorite verses in any of the writing of John, he says this, 3 John 1, 4. We may have that on the screen. It, it doesn't matter. He says this, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear 
that my children are walking in the truth. Isn't that beautiful? Did you hear that? If you're a parent, you can relate to that. If you're in the place of wanting to pour truth into somebody's life, man, and you know somebody is believing a lie or they're headed down a path that's going to lead their pain or destruction, when you hear they're walking in the truth and you hear that God is doing something in their life, man, that's joyful. John says, I have no greater joy than this. And to hear that my children, children in the faith, are walking in the truth. So he writes this letter so that they will be walking in the truth. So what he's going to do is he's going to clearly hold out the truth. He's going to remind them of who Jesus is. And he's going to remind them of the gospel. And he's going to remind them of this understanding of what is eternal life. It's not just a destination. What, what is it? Because it had gotten all distorted. Now we're going to read just the, four, the first four verses of chapter 1. We're going to walk through those. And I'll give you a couple applications. We'll give you some big ideas. And then you can take these and study them on your own. Study them in your life group. Press these out. Before we read verse 1, let me just give you a couple more items of background that I think are going to help you. So, Pastor Mike, what was the nature of the deception that was going on there? In other words, you said they were being deceived. Well, what did that look like? What did that sound like? What was the nature of the deception? I'll give you just two characteristics because a lot of what John is going to say is in response to these lies. Now, you don't have to study lies a lot to figure out the meaning of the lies. You study the truth to deal with lies. But it helps to understand a little bit of what was being said. One of the lies was this. These false teachers were claiming private revelations from God. These people were the early predecessors to a group known as the knowledgeable ones or the Gnostics. You can look that up on your own. Gnostic means knowledge. And here's what they were claiming. What's this? See if this sounds familiar. I know what John says, I know what the Bible says, I know the authority of that apostle, but you need, you need to know something, God has spoken to me, and what's this, he has spoken to me in a way that he doesn't talk to you, I have been enlightened they loved enlightenment. They believed that through enlightenment and the gaining of this knowledge, through all these different ecstatic experiences and through all these different things, that's how you were truly saved or came to this freedom, if you will, through enlightenment. So they, these false teachers held themselves up. I know something you don't. And the idea was this. So here's what you have in those churches. Watch. You have super Christians. You got everybody else. So there's division. And then you had confusion among the believers. You say, well, these guys, they seem to really know what they're talking about. I mean, they, they talk a good talk. And so what they ended up believing was what God has revealed to us is not enough. We need more. It's dangerous. You need to understand, these guys look like Christians. They talk like Christians. They had their books at Lifeway. <laughs> Don't send me an email. I just, just deal with it. <laughs> so that was one, is they had these private revelations, these guys who were super enlightened. And that's why throughout the book of John, you talk about how you love one another, because they couldn't love one another. Because here's what one commentator said, said these false teachers, they despise the ordinary run of Christians. You're just ordinary Christians. Us, we're the enlightened ones. That was a problem, big problem. 
Another issue they had that you're going to see running through John, another false teaching was basically this, how they understood the world and how it was created. So here's what they, just hang with me for a second. I know I'm geeking out on this, but hang with me. They believed in the world that the way the world came into being, all matter was inherently evil. Meaning all created things like my skin or my body or all all created things was inherently evil. Now, my spirit within me is good. That's, That's warped, right? Because we're broken. But they tell, so here's what you do. All this matter is evil, so here's what you need. You need to be set free from your body through enlightenment. And that's just the same old Eastern stuff today. That's why they burn bodies, is so you can set the spirit free from the, anyway. So, so watch. Here were the implications to that. One implication was this. Therefore they said, so this whole idea that God became a man and dwelt in a body, no way. No way. So they bring into great question the fact that God ever became a man and walked among them. That's a problem. Second one was the idea that you can have fellowship with God and the very spirit of God is going to come and dwell you in your body. No way. That can't happen. Your, your matter, the body is sinful. No way the spirit of God can dwell with you. So they begin to leave these believers unsettled. Well, how do I have fellowship with God? How do I walk with God? They had the answer. There's a twisting of a lie. And then the other one was this. If your body is inherently evil anyway, watch this, this is so subtle. Whatever you do in your body, doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. Whatever you want, doesn't matter. As long as your spirit is enlightened with truth, quote unquote, you can do whatever you want with the body. So you can imagine what was going on there. So in the midst of all these lies, John writes, and some of those are going to catch as you read some of these verses, and you're going to go, that's why John says that. That's why you do a little background study before you read a book of the Bible. So, verse 1, we're going to read it through four verses, and then we're going to make some application to our lives. So John writes to these believers that he loves. He wants them to walk in the truth. He wants them to flourish. He says this, verse 1. What was from the beginning? Let's stop right there. (laughs) So we didn't get very far. Oh, hang on. In other words, John says, okay, guys, you've been taught all this new revelation. You've been taught all this new truth. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you back to the beginning. Now, he's not beginning. He's not referring to the beginning back at creation. What he's specifically referring to is the beginning of when you heard the gospel. I'm going to take you back when you heard the gospel for the first time. The beginning of the proclamation of who Jesus was and what Jesus has done. We're going to start there. And we're going to go back to the beginning. And he says that with great confidence, and it shows the stability of the message of the gospel, all the isms and spasms and asms that are going to come through through your lifetime and all these heretical teachings. John says, listen, we're going to back to the Bible and the gospel because it never changes. He says, that which is from the beginning, that which you built your life on, we're going to go back there. And then he begins to remind them of who Jesus is. Watch this. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, John says. What we have seen with our eyes. In other words, the reality here, and you can hear the implications of this idea that Jesus never really came and walked among us, that Jesus really wasn't a man, that God really didn't take on flesh. John says, hold on, we saw him with our own eyes. (laughs) We touched him with our own hands. He's trying, to, he's trying to remind them of the reality that God became a man. 
This is one of the great truths that if you meditate on for any amount of time in your life, the world we live in, the message of the gospel, that the infinite God who has no beginning and no end, who has never sinned, who is perfect light, perfect love, took on flesh and became a man and walked among us. And John says, guys, I don't care what all these false teachers are teaching you. We're going to go back to the beginning. You don't do better than that. You don't do better than that. He says, we saw him with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. The word looked at here in the New American Standard is a beautiful word. It literally means to gaze upon. John says, listen, I didn't just give Jesus a casual glance. For three and a half years, the focus of my attention was the Son of God. Isn't that awesome? So the authority that I'm writing to you, John says, and to these believers, I'm writing with the authority of a living eyewitness. I, I was there, and I saw him. I walked with him. I saw the miracles. I saw him feed the 5,000. I saw him bring Lazarus out of the tomb. I saw him on the cross, and I saw him rise from the dead three days later. God has become man and walked among us, and he lives today. And John says, it's with that authority that I'm writing to you. All these things you're hearing, they're jeopardizing your understanding of that. He goes on, he says, concerning the word of life in the verse 1. That's a reference to Jesus. And the message of Jesus, this word of life. I'll keep going. And the life, the theme of John's writings is, is this idea of life, life, life. It's the, what he's saying is it's the very life of God has become manifest to us. The very life of God that has existed forever and ever and ever and ever and ever has become manifest to us. And he says, and this life, verse 2, was manifested. Manifested is a huge word. It means revealed or made known. Now I'm going I'm to geek out on you here again. Ready? The word manifested in the original language, you're going to be so impressed at my knowledge, is a theological passive. Woo! Glory! What does that mean? That means only God could do it. That's what it means. It's written in such a way that only God could do it. In other words, this did not come from years of my wondering and searching for the meaning of life. God made himself known because he chose to make himself known. And we don't have to wonder what God is like. We don't have to wonder who he is. He has manifested himself in the living word, Jesus Christ, and we have a record of it in the written word from the very mouth of God. And John says, I'm taking you back to what was from the beginning. He goes on, he says, the life was manifested and we have seen. He says that over and over. We saw him and testify and proclaim. The word testify again is the, is, we get the word martyr from. It's firsthand account of what happened. We proclaim to you this eternal life. There's that eternal life theme again. The life of God, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Oh, man, don't read over that. John says the very life of God himself was manifested to us and came and walked among us in the person of Jesus Christ. Eternal life. Hold on to that. Verse 3, he says, now this is, this is huge. He says, what we have seen, what we have heard, we are proclaiming to you. Now, 
I want to make a statement, and some of you are going to roll your eyes. I know you are, but this is going to come up as you read this. It's going to help you. In the reading of 1 John, watch this. Verb tenses matter. <laughs> Pastor Mike, could you get out of English class today, please? What's, this is huge. Verb tenses matter. Watch. So John says, what we have seen. What we have heard. That's a verb tense in the original language, which means this. Something so significant happened in the past, the impact of it is carrying over into my present. It's like saying through a verb tense, I was changed in the past and the reality of it has carried over into my present. And he says, and I'm proclaiming this to you because of what happened to me. It is determining how I speak, what I say, what I proclaim, what I tell, what I share. And here's here's one of the themes throughout the book of John. You know the reality of what you claim happened in the past by the way it is lived out in the present. Hear that? John says, I saw him. John says, I walked with him. And John says, it so deeply transformed my life then that it is impacting my life today. It determines what I say and what I speak and how I live and the life that I lead. There's no superficial, and I'm just going to say this, no superficial cultural Christianity in the book of 1 John. It's the reality of a transformed life because the life of God is now experienced in our lives. The very life of God. He goes on quickly. And John says, so I'm I'm telling you about this. I'm proclaiming this to you about who Jesus is and the meaning of the gospel. And he says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So, So you have fellowship with us. Now, let me deprogram us a little bit. Fellowship does not equal casserole, okay? Let's let's move past that a little bit. All about casseroles hanging out. The word fellowship here means shared life. It means what we share in common. It might be a cup of coffee, but if you're sharing a cup of coffee, that is a relatively, relatively insignificant thing. Sorry to all the coffee geeks here. I didn't mean to say that. Forgive me. The experience of sharing a cup of coffee is relatively insignificant. Therefore, the level of fellowship you're sharing is relatively insignificant. Watch. But when you share eternally significant things, The level of fellowship you enjoy becomes infinitely valuable. That's what John's saying. He says, I am sharing the very life of God. I know God. What these false teachers are telling you, it's a lie. But I know God. He says, I want you to share in that same infinitely significant thing of the very life of God. I want you to have that fellowship. The word fellowship here means literally, again, it's a shared life. It, it's the setting aside of private interests and the sharing of common life and purposes with others. It is this koinonia idea. Here John means this shared life. And he says there's a reality, significant fellowship, significant fellowship shares in significant things. 
Let me just tell you some implications to this really, really quick, because this is awesome. Why is it that as a believer with the Spirit of God living inside of me, I can go almost anywhere in the world and meet another believer, and within five minutes there is this powerful bond and connection? Why is that? Don't care what color their skin is. Don't care what socioeconomic background there is. But two believers together, there is this bond. There's this thing. What is that? That's because we share incredibly significant things. You've experienced that, right? That's what John's desiring here let's flip it around though watch this the opposite is also true why is it that someone who has the spirit of God living inside of them eternal life they've been born again all the same metaphor they they know God will never be able to have that level of fellowship with someone who doesn't know God because you don't share eternally significant things so here's the implications to that I'm chasing a tangent if you're here and you're single and you believe you've met the one and that one does not know Jesus Christ and you're claiming to know Jesus Christ and you think, well, we, we got a lot of fun things in common. I mean, we backpack and we like reading and we love fish and whatever. Okay, that's a level of fellowship you'll have, but you'll never experience significant fellowship like the Bible describes because you don't share in common significant things. See that? That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, you're unequally yoked. I mean, you're going in different directions. You're plowing one way, that person's plowing the other, and you may be deeply in love now and have googly eyes now, give it a year, and you'll want out. Just the way it works, and I'm sorry, but that's reality. I want you to have the kind of fellowship that John talks about here where you share significant things. In our early service, I'll just tell you, Dan and Peter Valley sit right over here, and we honor them. 57 years of marriage today. You know how that happens? They share in common significant things that matter. See that? So John writes, he says, I want this kind of fellowship with you. He keeps going and he says, and indeed our fellowship, this shared life, this is a great statement, is with the Father. Man, if you write in your Bibles, verb tenses matter. He says, our fellowship, what? Is with the Father. He doesn't say, you know, when Jesus used to be on the earth, I used to have good fellowship, or I'm waiting to get in heaven, you know, heaven someday and all that. He says, right now today, because I have been born again, I've trusted Jesus Christ, Jesus is my life. Right now today, I have an unending fellowship, shared life with the Father himself and his Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? Man, if you can't say that today, like John, I want you to be able to say that. I want you to be able to recognize what John says here, this word fellowship, this idea of this oneness, so to speak, that we are united in a fellowship with God. Eternal life that he's referring to is not merely a destination. Eternal life is the very life of God that by faith we step into through the person and work of Jesus Christ that has no beginning and no end and is ours because of Christ, the very life of God. Man, is that good. So he keeps on going. He says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then John writes, verse 4, this is so good. He says, so these things we write. 
He's got a whole letter he's writing. He's got five chapters we're going to study. And he says to these people he loves, he says, so that our joy may be made complete. Because I want you to know the truth. You guys know the joy that it is when you're able to introduce someone to Christ or the joy it is where you invest truth in someone's life. And man, you see them begin to throw, grow and flourish and thrive. Man, these folks had lost their joy. These folks had lost their assurance. These folks couldn't get along with one another. These folks were not walking in the fullness of eternal life that many of them had by nature of walking with Christ. Some, many of them didn't, but many of them had. And John says, man, I want my joy to be complete, so I want you to know the truth. So for us, we're going to be on a journey pursuing the truth over the next three months together. And listen, I don't think we'll be the same when we're finished, right? So I'm going to give you one big, one big truth and two big ideas, and we'll wrap up, okay? So here's the big truth. John, John writes this theme, and I'll give you this. This kind of got us through the whole book. Big truth is this. John writes of eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God and sharing in His very life now. John says this life has come. He's been manifested, this eternal life. Do not think of eternal life as merely a destination. Eternal life is a quality of life to be enjoyed now. It is the very life of God in us. It is the life of the Spirit of God in us. It bears fruit in our life and it goes on forever and ever and ever. So if your understanding of salvation is, well, I prayed a prayer, signed a card, walked an aisle, you don't get it. Eternal life, imagine the very character and person of God who has existed forever. Eternity past, eternity future. He is light, he is love, he is joy, he is all of that. He came to us so that we could come to know that quality of life. And at the moment of faith, John says, you are born again into a new life. What kind of life? Eternal life, which is that very life of God. That awesome. Here's what John says. He says it in the gospel. I mean, everybody knows this. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. But then he defines eternal life. John 17, 3, to be on the screen. says, this is eternal life, Jesus says. That they, us, may know you. Please don't hear that as know about you. I know some facts about God. No, no, no. Fellowship, communion. I know Him, and He knows me. Through his Son, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John Stott, a commentator, says of this passage and of 1 John, he says, To be a Christian, then, in the language of John, is to have been born of God by faith, God's life. I exchange my sinful life for his very life through Christ. To know God intimate growing personal relationship with God to live in him and enjoy that intimate personal communion with him which is eternal life Isn't that glorious I'll give you a couple big ideas flow out of this will be done number one eternal life is only possible through believing in Jesus Christ the God man the eternal life can never be earned it can never be gained by my performance it's not an issue of what are the requirements that I have to meet to achieve eternal life. Everything necessary for you and I to have this kind of life has been achieved by God himself in the person of Jesus. 
It's done. Glorious. The gospel says then, ours is to believe. Jesus said, you want to know the works of God? Here are the works of God in you. That you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son whom he has sent. Believe. Turn from your own way by faith. Believe. Place faith in Christ. And what happens? Well, my life's not changed. I just go about doing my thing. Nothing's different. You've not experienced eternal life. But the very life of God coming to dwell inside of you, I just tell you, changes everything. Everything. And we live in the Bible Belt. This book is so pertinent to us. We have such distorted, twisted understandings of what it means to know God or be a Christian. And we, we'll give this list of things, oh, what we've done, and oh, what we've accomplished, and oh, I've been a member of a church, and all this stuff. But it affects our lives none whatsoever. According to 1 John, if you say you walk in Him, you say you know Him, and your life bears no fruit of it, then you are believing a lie. The only way is through the Son, the Lord Jesus. John says this in John, 1 John chapter 5. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. And again, I'm not, eternal life is the same salvation, born again, all that. It's just wrapped up in the, this heading of eternal life. How do you get it? Verse 12. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. But Pastor Mike, I, I prayed that prayer when I was real little. I did too. I prayed a bunch of them when I was real little. I didn't know God. Just didn't. I want you to understand this series is not to cause everyone to go into doubt who are true believers. That's not why John writes. He writes to give believers full assurance that they have eternal life. But he also writes to take those who are imposters and who are believing a lie and who are confused to set them free from the lie that they are something that they're not. Because he loves them. And the only way it's possible is through faith and belief in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. Number two, and we'll finish with this team can come on up and just begin to play this this is going to kind of set the trajectory for we're going to hit this the rest of the series uh, in different ways but here, here's a big idea from first john it's this eternal life bears evidence in the daily lives of those who possess it again it's going to be a huge theme because had all these imposters running around these churches, and they didn't know who had eternal life. They didn't know who didn't. They say they're believers. They, they, I don't know what it really is. And John says, hey, hold, hold on. He says, I'm going to write, and I, I'm going to give you some clear evidence that you who are genuine, 1 John 5, 13, that you may know you have eternal life. But those of you who are believing a lie, You'll see Jesus for who he is and your lack of salvation and your lives will be born again because you're believing a lie. He goes through these different tests. You'll, you'll see these woven throughout the book of 1 John. We're not going to explain all these this morning, but he, he goes through these tests. In other words, these are not means to earn salvation or eternal life. Don't hear that. These are simply ways to know that you have it. What are the conditions to come to know God? Belief and faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ. The evidence that you have it? Oh, there's a lot of that. John writes about it. He gives four really quick. Number one's the truth test. What do we believe about Jesus? Because 1 John 
2.23 says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Say, I know God, I walk with God, but you believe something that's not even true about Jesus? Doesn't work that way. Secondly, it's the sin test. Are we pursuing holiness and confessing sin in our lives? Not perfection. We'll never achieve perfection in this life. That's not the point. But if you don't have a decreasing pattern of sin in your life, 1 John 1, 6 and 7, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we do not practice the truth. There's the obedience test. The one who says, I've come to know Him and does not keep His commandments, he's a liar. In other words, who's the boss of your life? Who's in charge? And then finally, the love test. You'll see this pulled throughout 1 John. He says, we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love our brothers and sisters. We love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death because that fellowship that exists there, remember that fellowship? We share the common life of God. I have a love for you and you have a love for me because we share the common life of God. To say that I love God and want nothing to do with his people, John says, it's a lie. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in just a second. But before then, I'm going to ask you one question, and then we're going to stand and sing. And the question is this. It's the question John asks at the end of the book. He says this. Do you have the Son? Do you know the Son? He who has the Son, by faith, trusted Christ alone in His full work of redemption. I'm trusting Him alone. He who has the Son has what? The life. He who doesn't have the Son not have a life part B of that question and does your life today exhibit characteristics of the life of God in you bow your head for a minute I'm going to pray for you we're going to stand and sing I'm going to trust the spirit of God to do his work in your heart this morning and you respond by faith to his word to his spirit what he's making clear to you this morning Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that know you this morning, Lord, that those that have the very life of God living in them, that as we walk through 1 John, they will know that they have eternal life and walk in the fullness of that life that is you. And Father, at the same time, I pray for men and women and boys and girls and students here today, Lord, that are holding on to some experience 20 years ago, or some prayer they prayed, or some card they signed or some religious activity but their lives today bear no evidence of knowing Christ Lord I pray they would see that they, the life of God is not in them I pray they would call out to you in faith Lord I need you Jesus save me turn from my sin receive you and you only as my Savior and Lord open their eyes Lord to see Jesus for who you are we ask it in Jesus name for your sake Amen.